politics and politicians have created this idea that the world that they envision and the world that seldom gets promised to their constituents or to their voters can somehow exist without capitalism or some form of economic system. And this for me is problematic. Fundamentally, the world over, um, leaders on economics, psychology, and even ideology have all agreed that by far the world is in a better place because of capitalism. And capitalism assumes that we can all compete for resources at a certain price that is set by the market and anything is available on demand. And how the system works is you cannot access the system if there's no value that you can give or there's no value that can, you can provide. In other words, the, the monetary reward is a byproduct of continuous transactions between various parties. Um, now it's more global, so it's countries dealing with countries. But on an individual level, it is as basic as Economics 101. In order for you to make any community more prosperous, you have to understand what socially drives that community. What are the underlying issues that is causing levels of stagnation, that's causing levels of decay, and that's not allowing a community to plug into the broader system. Now, if you look at South Africa, you look at about 25 years of democracy. Prior to that, we had a segregated system, and many tend to believe that the segregated system were much more efficient. Well, it would be because it served a smaller group of people. In the event that the system becomes more inclusive, that also means that you need more resources. Now, the only challenge and the biggest challenge that the government had and still have is that they never, ever admitted that they were under-resourced. And the first thing they did was they uh, took office, assembled a very big team of administrators, some who are equally qualified and some who are poorly qualified. But nevertheless, the economy was still at an upward trajectory, so we could absorb that particular cost. Many years go by, we are now exposed to the global economy, so that means there's a lot of products coming into our country. Each and everything that happens in the United States, in Europe, in Australia, in Canada, all our trading partners, India, Brazil, affects us. So if they start acquiring less of our products because they're localizing, we have to now do the same. But we've never ever thought that we find ourselves in this position so quickly that fundamentally the drivers of our economy must now be locally inclined. We've never ever trained our people. We have a poor educational system. We have structural problems with how our society is placed together. So for the first five to ten years, it looked like the country was, was doing well because they had a lot of foreign interest and most of, of the support pillars was underlying money from international countries. All our NGOs, all our social programs were funded by US dollars or pounds. Fast forward, we're now in 2018, 2017, 2019, 2020, from 2012 actually, we see a downward spiral in all economic activity because we see all of these particular economic blocks become more conservative. Uh, the European Union is talking about leaving um, 
the uh, BRICS community, and there's fundamental changes in what we call the New World Order. And many of the international community is trying to safeguard and protect themselves so that they don't fall into the same trap of poverty. So where does it leave Africa, and in South Africa in particular? It leaves us in a very vulnerable position, and it leaves us with very limited options. First of all, we don't have enough productive, productive capacity to ensure that we can continue to, to, to grow our economy at 6% and above. Second of all, we have very expensive access to capital, and our banks are too conservative when it comes to risk exposure. So they won't support a plan that says you can borrow money to anybody who wants to start a business or wants to become an industrialist because the fundamentals must be sound. There has to be somebody standing behind that particular plan that can cover the risk. So how do you hedge an economy that is basically bankrupt? How do you hedge a country that is basically insolvent? The answer is you can't do that. So fundamentally, if you look at the social and economical conversations that's being held in South Africa, it's not about the economy. It's not about the well-being of people. Everybody's trying to portray a role as a caretaker. There's new parties and splinter groups going at each other because they've now understood that the only value that they can create is the value of promising people that this particular uh, gravy train of tax-based money and tax-based income is never going to stop. So everybody's trying to get into politics. Everybody's trying to somehow capture the voice of the voiceless. And, and these are the most vulnerable people who's never going to realize that they're being used. And so many of these formations is ultimately going to strengthen the party who is currently the governing party. And I say this why because they have been governing for much longer than any of these parties. They can fundamentally adjust and change and adapt policy much more quicker. Sometimes the willingness left, but it just, it just needs the right set of, set of circumstances. And I think COVID-19 and the pandemic has created the right set of circumstances for any organization that are big in size to rethink how it deploys capital, to rethink how it reskills its people, and fundamentally, we are going to see more value and substantial amount of value be created in the system. So this notion that we, we are a, a nation that is working towards achieving some sort of solitude, and we can somehow move away from this level where we are a developed economy to a developed, more developed industrial economy, is unattainable. We have to accept that structurally, there is not enough capital to support that belief that we can industrialize Africa at the same rate that America and Europe has industrialized. Because that would essentially mean they have to de-industrialize. So that means they have to buy more of the material and the stuff from us. We have to export our stuff to other markets if we are doing fundamentally better at agriculture, fundamentally better at financial services, fundamentally better at labor um, supply, fundamentally better at at raw materials and resources, we have to find markets for those products. And right now, it looks like the, the status quo is helping other countries maintain uh, their levels of sovereignty. And so when Africa talks about independence, I try to get a little bit cautious. And I try to uh, look at where the evidence is 
of why people say that democracy in South Africa is fundamentally sound, healthy, and well, where we can see that the fundamental structures, if it's not supported by a strong economic willingness and a strong economic health, democracy will fail. You, you'll find there's not enough strength in our judicial system. There's not enough willingness to go out after people who have committed heinous crimes of corruption. So on the one side, you have the blue-collar crime. On the other side, you have uh, the more violent crime. And these are, are, are things that are going to be counterintuitive towards building a nation. And fundamentally, you're going to find more people become disillusioned with reality. Ultimately, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to find more disorder, more chaos. And if I'm a, if I'm a person with, with capital, and I need to put that capital somewhere, South Africa is not on the top of my, my list of, of investment destinations. I'd rather go to a, a country like Spain, Italy, uh, with a, a much more smaller population, much more stable government, smaller administration, and has clarity in terms of the policy. Um, our, tax, our tax breaks and our tax system is by far much more advanced than what a developed economy should be. If you look at uh, personal income tax, for example, how is it possible that personal income tax in this country is higher than developed countries? If you look at um, the benefits that is given to companies who want to uh, invest, for example, in green technology or in agriculture, a substantially much more attractive in countries like Australia, New Zealand, and Brazil, and India. And that is why most of the companies go there if they want to industrialize and start factories. So there's a lot of things that they have to do um, to ensure that, you know, we really change this perspective of having an academic conversation about our economy and really be respectful and truthful to the future that can be created uh, for our citizens.